You've tuned in to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 Minutes with Cameron Hurley. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Brian Humphrey. And you've tuned into a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes With. That's right. 20 Minutes With is a segment in which Dave and I have the great honor to share the microphone with some intriguing and influential storytellers. And our guest today is certainly a literary force to be reckoned with. Ooh, it's so very true. So very true. And, and before we launch into the awesomeness that is this 20 Minutes With segment. Yes. Dude. Virtual bro hug. <laughs> it has been almost a year since you and I have shared a Skype line. I'm slobbering on my computer because that's how excited I am to be talking to you again. <laughs> it's been too long. It has been way too freaking long. And yeah. now that the round table is back up and rocking, I'm looking forward to, to exploring the hinterlands of literary gold with you once again, my friend. Most definitely. Well, let's roll into this then. Uh, uh, okay. And, and, let me start off by saying, Brian, you know, we don't get a lot of dabblers uh, sitting in the guest host chair here at the round table. If, if, you're, sure. if you're not a literary badass, if, if you're not walking the talk, if you're not committed to weaving wonder into the tapestry of the world, you're, <laughs> you're just not going to make the cut. But this week, Brian, our guest host has redefined the concept of literary badass for me. As a child, she took the concept of imaginary friends to a whole new level. She would actually lock these phantom friends in the bathroom so they could take a bath. And, and she, she did this so many times that the screws on the doorknob to the bathroom became stripped because from her parents having to get into the locked bathroom and turn off the bathtub before it overflowed and flooded the house. Now, that level of commitment to an idea is one of the defining qualities that has sustained her and distinguishes her as a unique and potent voice in the genre fiction community. Now, when she was six years old, she watched the Challenger space shuttle explode over Cape Canaveral. And that tragedy awakened an awareness in her six-year-old self that life is not always the scripted perfection presented to us in, in movies and stories. At six, she's making these realizations. Now, she held off until she was 12 to decide to become a writer, uh, but only because she didn't realize it was an actual viable profession. Now, friends, I, I, I need you to consider the phrasing of that last statement. At the age of 12, our guest host decided to be a writer. Not decided she wanted to be a writer or that she would someday become a writer. She decided at 12 years old that she was a writer. And with that resolve firmly crystallized, she went to it. By 15, she was submitting to sci-fi and fantasy magazines, got her first nonfiction story published at 16, and her first fiction tale published at 17. She was a writer. Now, another defining moment occurred when she was 18 when her family moved to a city about five hours away from her hometown in Washington State. Now, most of us don't consider moving a life-altering event, unless you're our guest host. Now, the subtle shifts of culture in that short distance, things, things like, like the library being open on Sunday, 
struck our guest host as seriously strange and earned her more than a few are-you-nuts glances from her new neighbors. Now, again, her awareness was tweaked, and she realized how sheltered she had been. And again, her perceptions became more attuned. Now, quick incidental sidebar. The world of her latest novel, Mirror Empire, arriving on bookshelves everywhere August 26th, was conceived during this time in her life. It has been bubbling in her brain for all that time. Continuing with the narrative, she didn't date for the first five years after high school. Now, this is not that she couldn't get a date. She was just too busy being a writer. If having a relationship meant giving up writing, then fuck relationships. (laughs) And that impulse... Actually, it launched her into the frigid expanse of Alaska, where she pursued historical studies at the University of Alaska. So she's in Alaska collecting rejection slips and freezing her ass off. Then she gets accepted to the Clarion West workshop at the tender age of 20. Now, meanwhile, her studies had awakened an interest in the history of South African resistance movements. And... and Brian, you can picture the moment when, when that desire is kindled and our guest host is gazing out across the frozen Alaskan wastes, <laughs> realizing that mm. she was in the exact wrong place to be yes. studying the history of South African resistance movements. So from there, and, and you can almost watch that red line arcing across the map like in an Indiana Jones movie, our guest host was transported, well, okay, she, she flew, she went, to, to, to Durban, South Africa to study at the University of KwaZulu-Natal, where she shared a one-and-a-half-bedroom flat with a partial view of the Indian Ocean with an expansive nest of cockroaches, numerous geckos, and a wealth of other indigenous species. She had unlocked the poor writer living in a dive achievement and found that the glamour implied by such a lifestyle was a big fat lie. Now, in addition to her studies and the inevitable psychological afflictions that come from waking up with a three-inch cockroach on your pillow, and by the way, those afflictions she exercised brilliantly with the bug magic and bug tech of the Bell Dam Apocrypha series, during this time, something marvelous happened. Now, she had started sending long emails to friends while in Africa, describing her experiences and discoveries. She realized as these lengthy discourses accumulated, that she was creating narratives. She was creating story arcs that just happened to be factual and deal with her. Now, this was around 2004, and Blogger had just fired up. So once she returned to the state, she fired up a free blog and continued those narratives. Now, among these narratives were included her perceptions of books, which prompted a scathing dialogue with a guy who took exception to one of her book observations. Now, he later became a colleague, uh, but the real thing to take away from that moment, and it dawned on her suddenly, was that people were actually reading her blog, which is kind of a cool discovery. And to this day, she continues to be an online scribe, and her essay on the history of women in conflict, We Have Always Fought, was the first blog post ever to be nominated for a Hugo Award and was also nominated for Best Nonfiction Work by the British Fantasy Society, which is pretty badass. Now, I'm guessing it would be about this time that she nearly died. At 26, after collapsing in the hallway and having her roommate take her to the hospital, our guest 
was informed that she had type 1 diabetes, a chronic illness she deals with to this day. Now, I would argue that this may be taking the Campbellian hero cycle a bit seriously, but our guest host is hardcore. There is no doubt about it. At 28, she gets her first book deal. Then the deal gets canceled. She gets to keep the advance, but the work was never published. Another book deal. And books are published, and then the publisher implodes, and the rights to her work are sold off along with the copier and the office furniture. The reality of the decision she made when she was 12 years old is starting to hit home, but there is no wavering. Now, all told, she had nine novels, well and truly trunked, until the Beldam Apocrypha series, comprised of God's War, Infidel, and Rapture, hit the shelves in 2011 and 2012. They earned her the Sidney J. Bounds Award for Best Newcomer and the Kitschy Award for Best Debut Novel. And their arrival on the genre fiction scene established her as a potent and eloquent voice in the spec fic continuum. Her work has contended with the best, and she has been a finalist for the Arthur C. Clarke Award, Hugo Award, Nebula Award, the Locus Award, and the BSFA Award for Best Novel. Her works have been translated into four languages, and her short fiction has appeared in all the best places, including Lightspeed, Escape Pod, and Strange Horizons, and anthologies like The Lowest Heaven, The Mammoth Book of SF Stories by Women, and Year's Best SF. Do you see what I mean, Brian, when I say our guest host redefines literary badassery? Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, dear friends, please welcome to the big chair at the round table, our guest host for this 20 minutes with Cameron Hurley. Cameron, thank you so much for taking time from what I know to be a hectic pre-launch schedule to to, to share your thoughts and, and ideas with us during this 20 minutes. I really appreciate it. Dude, it was worth it just for that intro. (laughs) (laughs) But man, that person sounds awesome. Who the hell is that? I want to talk to her. Hell yeah. Got to buy that person a drink. (laughs) Now, now. Did I did I miss not that I, did I miss anything? Obviously, there's a whole lifetime that I missed. But was I wrong about anything? Is there any any egregious errors that need to be addressed before? Not egregious. No. That honestly, uh, to be dead honest, I was actually listening to that and going, that is better than like 99 percent of professional journalists who ah! have done a. <laughs> oh damn! <laughs> so I think no, you got most of the most of the stuff. So, awesome, yeah. awesome, and a new yeah. career path opens up for Dave. Awesome, See, very cool. exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, don't well, be a journalist. No, it won't happen it won't happen uh all right let's let's not waste any more time i'm keen to start our 20 minutes with cameron hurley i'm going to set the clock here and we'll of course ignore it but you know we got to give it a try um cameron on your amazon bio the the bell dem apocrypha series is described as a science fantasy noir series now i i you know there's been a lot of talk about what is science fiction, what is fantasy, yada, yada. I'm really intrigued if you would articulate the essence of the noir aspect in the context of God's War and Infidel and Rapture. Well, you know, to be honest, uh, 
I get this question a lot, obviously, because uh, I have a series of books that is about, you know, sort of a badass heroine who cuts off people's heads. Uh, she's a mercenary. She's been the government assassin. Uh, there's some a little bit of grimness to it. It's got spaceships, but it's also got shapeshifters and folks who use a type of bug magic. So what is that? What genre is that? I call it bug punk, actually, a lot of the time. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, which has, has, you know, resonated with a lot of people. Um, but to be honest, when I get this question a lot at panels, I'm just like, I write Thundercats. Like, that's just what I do. Oh, it's Thundercats, so you know? Is it fantasy? Is it science fiction? <laughs> uh, Saladin Ahmed actually just had on his Twitter feed, he posted this picture of like a 19... I don't remember what year, but of uh, Wonder Woman. And she's riding this giant kangaroo <laughs> through, through the solar system, hopping off different planets. And I'm like, that's what I write. My agent's like, yeah, that's an accurate description of what you write, Cameron. <laughs> Wonder Woman on a kangaroo. That pretty much I know, sums it right? up. Right. Just it's um, it's. It's I write fantasy fiction. I write speculative fiction. Uh, and to me, I think a lot of times we find ourselves limited by genre. Uh, so I think that when folks come to me, what I'm probably going to say is, hey, this one is a little bit more in the science fiction realm, uh, you know, for the Bell Down books. This one is a little bit more in the fantasy realm uh, for the Mirror Empire. Um, but for the most part, you know, I like a blending of genres. I like to throw in everything but the kitchen sink and sometimes the kitchen sink too um, and see what comes out, right? Uh, I think I think it's incredibly limiting when we say, oh, it's this thing. For marketing purposes now, I try to find ways that I can uh, talk about something that is at its, at its heart kind of unique, right? And that's why a lot of times I'll call it kind of a noir. I've had some people... Uh, say that, you know, it is, it, it does follow kind of a noir sort of, it is about the internal struggles of these characters, um, in particular, the uh, protagonist, Nix, and just her journey, uh, you know, throughout this incredibly crap sack, you know, war-torn Mad Max apocalypse, you know, 80s action hero world. Right. Um, so that's that's just what I use to, as a kind of a shorthand for, this is sort of the flavor and tone of what you're going to get. Sure. And and then, and that's all you can really do uh, in, in the short amount of time that you have to hold people's attention uh while you're while you're pitching a tale i just i was intrigued by by that noir aspect in particular uh, uh because noir of course conjures images of humphrey bogart and trench coats mm -hmm. and black and white film and and you know there are there is an aesthetic to the noir vibe and and was that i, I guess I'm, i'll answer your question for you cameron if that's okay <laughs> um I'm, I'm guessing that that probably evolved and 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 resonated for you after the book was done is that a safe bet absolutely yeah i think a lot of again and people come to me about this all the time like oh how do i market a book I mean, you know my day job is marketing and advertising for a software company and i said while you are writing a book you are you don't need to think about those things that's not important um, when you are writing a book you need to write the book that you want to write you need to make it absolutely amazing and have it you know fire on all cylinders and do the happy things that it does for you after it's done, that's when you sit down and go, okay, what can Guy kind of map this on to? What have I wrought? What the <laughs> hell is this? Uh, which honestly, for 99% of what I read, I'm like, oh my God, what did I just do? Uh, and a lot of times there is, there's no straight analog, uh, especially for a lot of the things that, that I write. Um, so you just try to get an approximation and then you throw in, you know, and there's energy swords flying out of their wrists and they're... You know, there's flesh eating plants and there's all this other stuff, too. 
Um, but then you, you know, pitch it as something familiar, like, oh, it's Game of Thrones meets Fringe. Oh, it's, <laughs> right, you know, right. th- so that they can have a hook. Sure, um, they sure. Need some, they need something. Some conceptual uh, to reference to. to plug it into. Sure. Exactly. Well, and, and I think, you know, I, you know, genre mashups and, and whatever that means in the context of the industry aside, I think that's what really distinguishes your work, Cameron, is, is that you, you are not bound during the writing process to a, a, a particular maybe even recognizable vibe. I, I know uh, uh, weird fiction has been thrown Ill around in association with your name, but but even that, you know, I, I you could hold up China Mieville and Cameron Hurley side by side and, and see the resonance, but you mm. really are standing on your own feet as you're going out there, and that's pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. Uh, you know, it, it has its, its good and its bad. because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're carving your own Again, niche. Yeah. yeah, exactly. When you are, and that was something that I wanted to do, and I was very clear about wanting to do that, and that's why I positioned God's War when it first came out as Bug Punk, where I said, everyone said, you know, hey, this doesn't fit into a nice, neat box, and I said, well, then I'll make my own box. <laughs> there you uh, go. It'll be a yeah. small box. It'll be a small yeah, box. Yeah, you know, and it will start small, uh, but eventually, you know, it will be, this is a Cameron Hurley book, and that's what it is, um, and I think that that is a place that I'd like to get to, um, but yeah, when you initially come out the door, everyone wants to put it into a box. I'm like, well, it's its own box. It's my box. Yeah. It's a Cameron Hurley box. So um, that's <laughs> a lot of advice I give to people. I'm like, well, either you are going to be plunked into something else or you are the one who comes in and you are the one who changes the conversation. Which would you rather be? Um, and that's just the type of writer that I am where I'm like, I don't want to be in someone else's box. I would like to be the one that comes in. Everyone goes, oh, holy crap, what was that? So sure. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Cameron Hurley after this brief promotional break. The city of Charlton is a city divided. Upper Charlton, where the rich and powerful work and play, and Charlton Terrace, where corporate dynasties and powerful gangs ensure that the poor stay on the right side of the economic gap. In the terrace, Miranda Garen has a chance to make a new life for herself with the help of an old family friend and his plans for advanced medical technology. Creepin Byrne is the favorite son of Upper Charlton, champion of the local boxing circuit and heir to a corporate empire. Their separate worlds are brought together and destroyed around them in a single night by the leader of the Cabezas de Muerta gang, who will stop at nothing in order to make a name for himself in Upper Charlton. Forced into using the experimental cybernetic technology Miranda had been working on, Griffin must put aside everything he knew of his privileged existence and work with Miranda. Together they must find a way to escape the machinations of the cruel vindictive gang leader, the new dangers that lie in the belly of the terrace, and their own personal demons, and reclaim control of what remains of their lives. Broken is a near-future inner-city cybernetics adventure written by Cedric Johnson and Veronica Jagger. Get your own copy of Broken on Amazon and Smashwords. Learn more about the authors at thepenofzen.wordpress.com and www.voicesbyveronica.com. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Cameron Hurley. Uh, I have a, I'm going to go in kind of a little bit of a different direction because I was listening to your essay, The We Have Always Fought, and um, I've been having a conversation with a lot of people recently about the concept of how it seems like a lot of of writers right now that are involved in the conversation are really pushing for writers to be so 
socially conscious within their work. And I'm, uh, that's not necessarily what I applied to your essay, but it got me thinking about a lot of different things. And <clears throat> so the question, I guess, that I have for you, because I think that you would be somebody that would be excellent in, in answering your, your uh, point of view on this, is are writers today required to be socially conscious in their work? Or is there any room any more for just sort of the cotton candy escapism in writing. Oh Lord, you do whatever the fuck you want. Right. Um, <laughs> no, like, uh, and, and here's what you got to get. Um, and again, everyone writes for different reasons and everyone reads for different reasons. All of that sure. work needs to be there. We need cotton candy. We need things that I just want to read something that is exactly like the world as it is presented in the media every single day because that's what I'm most comfortable with. Um, some people really enjoy that. We need that broad spectrum. You absolutely don't want to go, well, I have to do this, this, and this. You don't have to do anything. Um, now, I will, you know, the caveat to that is that I, again, I, as, as Dave said, I went to uh, Clarion when I was 20, very uh, young and, you know, very early time in my career. And I had Jeff Ryman as one of my instructors. And he told me about one of my stories. And it was actually a very early version of the, what would become the Beldum Apocrypha. And he said, I believe this story suffers from a failure of the imagination. And I find it personally offensive. Uh, <laughs> and when you've got a big name writer at the time, you're a little baby writer. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> I never make it. Uh, and we had a one-on-one -on -one and, and he kind of apologized. Like I was a little, I was a little harsh on you. Um, but he's like, I did that because you're incredibly talented and I don't want to see you just doing, um, you know, like stuff for shock value. Uh, sure. he's like, I think that you can be a better writer than you pretend to be. Um, and he said, there's something also you need to understand that as writers, we must take responsibility for the images that we put onto the page. Um, and it was that conversation, I've, I've quoted it several times, but that conversation always comes back to me in everything that I write. Um, is that true of, of every single writer? Um, I do think that at a certain point, yes, we have to either own up to what we've done and say, yes, that is something I meant to do and I put that on the page, or yes, that is something that was put on the, to the page and unfortunately I did not communicate that in a way that I felt was, the, in a way that was responsible. Um, ultimately, all we own is our words. Um, and so that's fine. If you're like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to write this thing that is, you know, punches people in the face, but it's escapist to me and it's, you know, cotton candy and I own that. If you want to own that, I'm totally right. cool. I'm like, all right, cool. All right. We're, we know where we all stand. Um, but to pretend like, oh, I'm going to go out and punch people in the face. And well, that's just the way it is. It's just realistic. It's just, it, well, sure. no, it's fantasy. <laughs> you, chose, <laughs> you chose to make this world. Um, so I, I have a, and I'm, I, I come from a place of brutal honesty. I'm that way about publishing. I think people know online, I talk very frankly, it gets me into trouble occasionally. Uh, but I talk very frankly about the publishing life and about writing. Um, so I want to have honest conversations and I have uh, very little uh, patience for folks who are just like, well, I didn't mean to do X, Y, and Z. Well, that's fine. So are, do you want to fix it or do you just want to keep perpetuating it? Because that is a choice we make with every story. And if you want to make that choice, I would much prefer someone makes that choice consciously. Uh, so if someone calls you out and says, hey, you know, you realize you just did this thing that was kind of like a jerk thing to do. And you're like, yep, I did. 
<laughs> I own like, that. Okay, cool. That's mine. Great. You owned it. That's fine. Uh, you want to be that way. That's cool. That's that's your work. And if that's what you know you want to put out into the world, that's totally uh, up to you. Um, so again, there's no hard and fast rules to anything that we do. Uh, and I think pretending that there's some sort of oh you are automatically you know blah 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 socially responsible. Um, they're not going to be. <laughs> well, and it, it, it just seems like there are so many people these days that are becoming apologetically so. You know, mm-hmm. you see you see Marvel making these massive changes and it it's as if they're doing it because they don't want people to see them as a as a not socially uh, responsible company. For, for marketing um, reasons rather than necessarily sure. cultural or, or responsible reasons. Okay, now this is interesting. Uh, now, again, I do marketing and advertising at my day job. Here's something that's very interesting to know about your market. In 2050, white people will no longer be a majority in the United States. Uh, yeah. Women make up 51% of the world. They play 50% of the games. This is, if we don't want to go socially responsible, this is a something businesses need to think about if they would like to be successful in the next 30 years. Um, Absolutely. So, right? So if we want, I mean, everyone's yeah. like, oh, it's PC. And it's, oh, come on. Businesses talk well, about, this is money for businesses. This is not about being nice people, you know, for a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah. A lot of the time, it's about money. Um, and the ones who get it are getting it. And I think they're going to get ahead of the pack and they're going to understand that, oh, this equals dollars. Maybe I should, you know, maybe I should mm-hmm. think about that. So. Yeah. I think the, th- the thing that hit or struck me about the Marvel, especially the Thor thing, and, and Dave, of course, is rolling his eyes as soon as I mentioned <laughs> Thor, because anything to do with Norse religion, I'm all over it. But he is. Uh, the, the thing that really bothers me is, and, and it's the same thing with the Captain America thing, and I don't know if you've seen that too, but you have Thor losing his power and a woman takes up the mantle. And it's not a new really awesome female superhero that is going to step in and create its own audience. She has to take the place of a white guy. Yep. And then you have the same thing with Captain America where his, his, one of his best friends is, is this black superhero and Captain America or Steve, I forget his last Rogers. name. I, I'm, Rogers. I'm being, Dude. thank you. Bad nerd. <laughs> so Bad nerd. Turn in your yeah. nerd card. <laughs> Edit that out. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> but he loses his powers and, and his friend steps in and becomes Captain America. And so the headline is Captain America now is going to be black. But it's not this it's not this character that that has created its own audience and can stand on its own. Again, he's replacing a, a white guy and taking on his audience. And I don't see that as them doing an honest, socially responsible move, if that's the reason that they're doing it. Does that make sense? And those two words, like, back-to-back within the same week of news. Oh, sure. Uh, And here's the reason, and Gail Simone was actually talking about this on Twitter, um, here's the reason for that, is that if I I went out, I make Nick's, you know, the main heroine of God's War, uh, you know, uh, a person of color who's badass, um, who's amazing, um, I can come out with that character. I could put out, and I've had people come to me about this, put out a graphic novel of Nyx and her team of badasses. I'm not going to get talked about on Stephen Colbert's show or Conan's show or whatever because I have this amazing new heroine. What gets talked about is Captain America and Thor and the ones that have those already existing media. They're already existing in the media media machine. They have the fan audiences. Again, from a marketing perspective, it makes sense. Let's reboot this stuff and just change 
the people um, right. and you get there with Miss Marvel and all that. Is that what I prefer? No, I would much prefer that people are doing original work in every single media though. Right. And they sure, are sure. so, and I get this in publishing all the time and it's been very, um, uh, very stressful, I guess. Uh, it's been very frustrating um, to say, you know, you guys need to take a chance. I have something new and it's different and it's amazing, but you need to take the chance on it. Nobody wants to take a chance on a horse that has not won yet. <laughs> <laughs> but someone yeah. has to take the chance on the horse. And they're like, well, right. Thor is a horse that is one. So we'll just, you know, gender flip him and <laughs> throw him out the door again. And we'll get on, we'll get free publicity for it. And everyone will think we're socially conscious and it's amazing. Uh, it's a great way to get on the front page of something. What's harder to do is working your way up from, I think, I feel a place that I'm at, which is, okay, here's someone coming on the scene with all new properties, all original stuff that is kind of on the fringes that I would love to see more mainstreamed. That's going to take a harder fight. That's not going sure. to be as easy. Um, so I'm totally with you about that where it's like, you know, why can't we have more original stuff? And I'm like, I, wouldn't it be great? Option my shit. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> there we go. But nobody's coming to meet option my shit. And the reason is because these have built in, built in audiences. So that right. makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Well, and, and actually in a sort of a related vein, um, Cameron, you, you had observed, uh, uh, in your, in your ranting dragon interview that, um, God's war, uh, will likely be a gateway book for a lot of people. And and I, you've been very vocal about how uh, uh, Joanna Russ's work was very much a gateway for you. It, it, it redefined the genre for you and, and gave you like a, a, a vector of approach uh, for you to, to, to find your voice in the genre, I guess. Is, is that safe to say? Yeah, I think okay. so. Well, that see that inspiration, and I think we've all had that. I think Brian's had that. I've had that. Every every genre fiction writer uh, uh, who who reads voraciously has that transitional moment, that epiphany when it's like, oh crap, this is what it's about, and that that moment is is a fascinating thing, and I think a vital thing for a writer. And I guess my question to you is, do you think that young authors can facilitate or 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 foster that epiphany uh, beyond or in addition to or, or supplementary to just reading everything that they can lay their hands on. That's good advice. Is, is there, are there other ways, mental uh, attitudes or perspectives that could bring on that epiphany uh, uh, more quickly or, or more uh, on command? You know, um, the biggest writing advice uh, I ever got was actually to read outside the genre and to travel. Um, mm -hmm. it actually made an incredible, uh, difference in my life and in the way that I approached a lot of my world building, uh, because instead of finding ways, oh no, I can't travel or I can't do this or I can't, well, I started saying yes to things. Uh, you know, <laughs> when I, when I ran off to Alaska, it was, Hey, we're going to drive up to the Arctic circle tonight. And I'm like, sure, let's go. Whereas before, I mean, I'm a nerdy girl. I'm like, oh, I can't do anything. I'm shy. I'm introverted. I want to do. And I was like, I started to just say yes. Um, to a lot of this stuff. And I got a lot of opportunities uh, and I experienced a lot of things that I would not have otherwise. Um, and so to me, I think that, that was really vital is getting outside of our everyday like normal because normal is constructed, right? All of these social structures, everything that we experience every day we believe is normal. It's all fake. Uh, it's it's all just a crazy thing. We can make it all up again in 10 years. Uh, it only takes a generation really to change uh, the completely all of our, uh, social expectations. So for me, I think traveling is a really good one. Um, and I think, again, a lot of people 
I have to read um, classic science fiction. I tell people this uh, at conventions a lot. I read a lot of classic science fiction primarily because I knew um, that I would be called out as a fake geek unless I read this stuff. Uh, so I read a lot of, um, you know, again, Joanna Rouse, I read Alfred Bester, I read Asma, I read Heinlein, I read all of those. So when people would talk to me about it, I'd be like, yes, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I can Heinlein. speak articulately Heinlein. about this topic. I know, Heinlein, the, quarter, the last quarter of every novel falls apart. Um, so I knew <laughs> yeah, right? And then I could talk about them, um, but also read a lot outside the genre. You know, I would read, uh, you know, Tony Morrison and Isabella Lund and um, other folks. And that kind of actually led me back to, weirdly enough, New Weird, um, I read Angela Carter um, and Jeff Vandermeer and all of those folks, and uh, it, so it sort of it was sort of this. It ended up being a loop, um, and so yeah, I think that there, you know, you can hack anything. I think the primarily the biggest thing folks can do is start to interrogate um, again. Is why why do I think this is normal, and is the world really this way? And when you travel, it's really nice because that takes you out of your immediate environment, sure. and. It, forces you to look at how everything is constructed. And so that to me has been the most beneficial. Awesome. Very cool. Um, the, the clock is ticking down. I, I have one more question. <laughs> I got to get in. Uh, uh, I'm going to, the clock is going to kill me, but it, we're just going to have to suck it up. Um, Cameron, one last quick question before our 20 minutes is up. It's um, there was, there was a, a guest post that you wrote uh, in, in the book Smugglers uh, in, uh, called mm -hmm. uh, A Complexity of Desires, Expectations of Sex and Sexuality in Science Fiction. Uh, and you were speaking about how your, your editor had written in the margins, yes, we get it, she has sex with men and women. <laughs> yes. and, and you said in, in the blog post, it reads, I crossed out the line of stupid narrative, then went back and got rid of some more. I made Nix's world normal. Mm -hmm. How... Do you do that? In, in a, <laughs> <laughs> that's the question I've been dying to ask for 20 minutes. How did, and, and you, you succeeded, I think, fantastically uh, uh, in making it believable, making it uh, approachable, digestible, embraceable, all of that. How do you take something as bizarre and, and unconventional as the world that you created and make it normal? Um. This is one of those things where my high school theater training comes into uh, handy quite a lot. Theater, uh, and, yes. uh, theater, theater, baby. Uh, you know, we do more than just just smoke out in the out in the parking lot. Um, That's right. So this was a lot of um, you know putting yourself into someone else's shoes. Uh, I think the best thing that that fiction can teach you is empathy. I really think that that's why stories are there. It's to, it's to you know keep us in line, quote unquote, or you know tell us to to fight fight the structures, um, and it's to show us you know hey this is someone who is a human like you, right? <laughs> um, which is hard for people when sometimes we're not getting those messages that in fact, everyone is a human and, and we're all a lot more alike than we are different. Um, so for me, a lot of what I did was simply just say, okay, when I turn on the light, do I think about how the light works? No. Mm -mm. Well, when I drive a car, do I think about how the engine works? No. So if she's you're driving a car that's powered by bugs, I'm not going to sit there and tell you how the engine works, even <laughs> though it's powered by bugs, right? And she's there's four there's like four pedals in, in the in the vehicle. I'm like she's not thinking about what they're all doing. She pressed some pedals. Um, 
So a lot of that is simply saying, all right, it, how do I interact with my everyday world? And what do those same exact things look like or similar things look like in her world? And how does she interact with them? And one of the things I liked, and I specifically chose this with Nix, it was nice because she was not a terribly intellectual person. She's Conan, right? Yes. Um, so to her, it was just like, ah, whatever. Uh, she, she's not going to sit there and think about, oh, the history of the world, blah, blah, blah. I have a lot of people got, get very upset because she actually interrupts someone who's about to like tell you all about the <laughs> Give world. Give you an info and, dump. What Here we go. To be? Yeah, she's like not interested. She's like, That's tell awesome. me who I got to kill. Who went head <laughs> chop off? Um, and I had several reviewers who were like, ah, this was the moment where it was all revealed. Um, but that stuff didn't interest me because it didn't interest her. Uh, and it, it was uh, really fun to write from her POV because she was so incredibly different. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it was just a, a matter of going, okay, well, what's, you know, you, you have to fully inhabit a character. And I think that's something some people struggle with because mm -hmm. you need to empathize with that character and know what they want in order to do that. And if you don't know what they want and you cannot empathize with them, it's going to take a lot longer to get to that place. And, you know, to be honest, uh, and especially with Mirror Empire, honestly, until I got to the very end, I had to go back and rewrite a lot because I didn't know the characters until I finished. And then I was like, oh, I know these people now because I've spent so long in their shoes. <laughs> and then we go, go back. back. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a rewriter. And that's something I struggle with um, trying to convince editors when they see my proposals where I say, no, really, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Just yeah, trust me. Just trust me. Yeah, but trust me, this is going to be amazing. Uh, all the pieces are in place, but I need the actual journey of finishing the book to get to where we need to be. Roger that. Roger that. Yeah. Well, and and your theater. You're right. Theater majors are uniquely qualified to empathize yes. and immerse themselves into into character. That's what they're that's what they're trained for. Guys, I'm I'm sitting here. The clock has has actually started secreting an incendiary toxic ooze, uh, and it's waving its <laughs> pin pincers at me. Exactly, I know, right? <laughs> so I, I can only assume that means that that we are way over time, and I and I'm so glad that we did. Cameron, thank you so very much yes. for for sharing your insights and 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 giving us a a little more writerly mojo that us and our listeners can use uh, in our own pursuits. We really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. thank you so much. Uh, Brian, what, what are you taking away from, from this episode, bud? Um, I, I just, I knew that she was the right person to ask that question. To Absolutely. That's, that's been the general feeling on it is just sh shut the hell up and stop thinking about all the, the, the social constructs and all the things that you're doing wrong and just write the damn story, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I love that. And I also wanted to tell you, Cameron, that you had me at llamas with scales. <laughs> <laughs> Levels of skills and Thundercats. I, I haven't, yeah. I, I have to be totally honest and say that I haven't read any of your books yet. But when I heard oh, that, I was listening to the Podcastle one. And when I heard that, I, I that there goes my paycheck right there. So. <laughs> no, those, those llamas, uh, it, it, it's extraordinary. You never know what's going to hit. And I think, to be honest, again, it was, it was that in, right? Where people went, oh, oh llamas. That's, uh, you know, because otherwise you hear politics. That's what I keep telling people about Hugo's sure. speeches. Oh, my Hugo's speeches aren't political. They're all about llamas. <laughs> scaled llamas. Scaled, very scaled important. Scaled llamas. Very yeah. important. Scaled llamas, yes. Attacking yeah, the crowd. Good. Make it happen. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was it was an affirmation uh, of, of I guess I'm going to kind of reiterate what you said, Brian. Is write, write the damn story. Uh, don't worry about genre. Don't worry about marketing. Don't worry about 
what size fish you are in in the pond that you're writing in. Focus on the story and and I and the story that you want to write. Well, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and you know, if you do that, then the awesomeness of the story will will carry itself, and you can worry about the rest of the crap later. So. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, there's there's plenty of rewriting. There'll yes. be plenty of rewriting. Yes. <laughs> now, now, dear friends, I, I will tell you that uh, Cameron's book, The Mirror Empire, her newest book, is is hitting is it is it every bookshelf in the universe on August twenty sixth? How's in that? The in the universe. All the universes. Right. The, all the parallels. The Newsian Barnes and Nobles are getting ready to stock Mirror Empire. So so do prime your 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 Amazon or whatever your your delivery of choice method is and make sure you're there for that. Uh, now, friends, this has been fabulous, and and obviously we're t- <laughs> this. If we if we were to workshop a story with Cameron, it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be fucking awesome. So I I think we should kind of make that happen. So you guys, you stick around, uh, uh, come back in a week. We will bring Cameron back, and we're <laughs> gonna workshop the hell out of an awesome tale. Uh, until then, God, it's a whole week, Brian. What 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 should they do? Well, go write. <laughs> Duh! <laughs> write your story. Write your story. Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. And, and you know, friends, you find what you're looking for. So, so look for awesome. Look for wow. Look for, oh my God. And you know what? You're going to find it. I promise you that. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you in a week. You take care. You be cool. You be frosty. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2014 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable Podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.